When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and I'm back with another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. We're recording this the night of the Super Bowl after the Chiefs beat the 49ers. Chris, What did you think of this year's Super Bowl? It was not a good game at the beginning. I wasn't all that excited about it. And like I was telling my wife that, you know, just because a game is competitive and just because a game is close doesn't mean that it's fun or entertaining. But then the last bit of the fourth quarter in overtime was really fun and entertaining. So it was okay. I don't think it was one of the greatest Super Bowls that I've ever watched. I wish there was a little bit more action. Had some questions about the coaching in the first half from Andy Reid. Had a bunch of questions about Kyle Shanahan's coaching throughout the course of the game. But I thought it was fine. I thought it was a good Super Bowl. I wasn't entertained at the end. And the way that the Chiefs were able to win the game at the end, that made it for a wild, intense, heart-pounding finish. And it made up for a pretty lackluster beginning to the game. There are people saying that it's time to start discussing Patrick Mahomes in the same conversation as Tom Brady. Three Super Bowl rings, three Super Bowl MVPs, two regular season MVPs, and all before turning 30. He's just 28 years old. I think this is going to get to be like a LeBron and Michael Jordan conversation, but Patrick Mahomes might actually get the accolades to make people with the rings agenda actually consider him as one of the best of all time. One of the best of all time is accurate. There's no doubt about that. But if we're having a GOAT conversation, I think it's a little bit too early there. I think we could sit here and we could say, honestly, Ethan, that he's on his track to become the GOAT. Like he's on a path where he could surpass Brady, right? I think that's fine to say, but I don't think we have to call him the GOAT yet, not given everything that Tom Brady already accomplished. And Patrick Mahomes still has a ton more left Who knows? They could three-peat next year. He could go on and continue to win Super Bowls. Like, yeah, the Chiefs have questions, no doubt about it. But like the fascinating thing to me about this year for Kansas City, and I was talking about this to Dean Wade, who is the big Kansas City Chiefs fan in the Cavs locker room. Karis LeVert, also a Chiefs fan, by the way. So they're both celebrating tonight. But I was talking about this with Dean Wade the other night in Toronto. This was the year that teams were supposed to get Kansas City. Right. Like because of the money that Patrick Mahomes makes, it made it difficult for the Chiefs to construct the kind of team around him that you would think that they wanted to. 
They had to make some cost-cutting moves. Tyreek Hill gone, obviously changed some things along their offensive line. Their top wide receiver, wide receiver, not pass catcher, but wide receiver was a rookie. So there are reasons to think, or there were reasons to think throughout the course of the year that the Chiefs were going to be vulnerable. And then all of a sudden they get into the playoffs and you forget about all of those flaws because Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid together as a combination with Travis Kelsey as the guy who is there to make the clutch catches, it just feels inevitable. Yeah, and people are even comparing Patrick Mahomes to Jordan because of how other players around the league might win MVP, but you can't ever count out the Chiefs because they have Mahomes. And I think that's became even more evident this season. And in today's NBA terms, it feels like even if the Miami Heat aren't having the best regular season, teams don't want to play them in the postseason. Not because of one player, perhaps, but because of their culture and their experience to go from the play-in tournament to the NBA Finals, even if they did come up short. And Patrick Mahomes throwing the game-winning touchdown to McCole Hardman. It was so poetic because McCole Hardman was traded, released, all these other things, and then ended up back with the Chiefs at the last moment and without Tony being on the field. Tony stinks anyway. (laughs) But yes, you're right. The point, I understand what you're making. I I mean, hey, if Travis Kelsey was the one catching that, it would have been different because that's like his guy. But to go to someone that... They literally didn't have on the roster beginning of the season. It just shows that this Kansas City Chiefs team was not full of uh, talent. That's the reason why you pay Patrick Mahomes so much money and you invest so much of your salary cap space in him because he's one of the few guys in the entire NFL that can elevate everybody around him. He makes it so that even if the offensive line has a bad night. And think about the beginning of tonight's Super Bowl. Chase Young was all over the place, rushing Patrick Mahomes, making him uncomfortable. And the same thing with Nick Bosa, who Tony Romo called Joey Bosa a few different times tonight. But like Patrick Mahomes finds a way to make it so even if the defense feels like they've got a beat on what the Chiefs are doing, even if the defense feels like they've got an advantage over the Chiefs offensive line or something along those lines, like he finds a way to continue to make plays in spite of all of that. And so like you invest so much money in him because you feel like you don't need the best offensive line in the NFL. You can have a running back who is drafted later in the draft and you don't have to invest a bunch of resources in that position you can have young pass catchers or inexperienced pass catchers that Patrick Mahomes is going to find a way to make look better and he's going to throw them open and he's going to allow them to catch the ball in stride so that they can run after the catch like the little things that he does on a game-to-game basis that's why you give him all that kind of money because he is a true franchise elevator. He reminds me a lot, Ethan, of LeBron James. When it came to LeBron, once he got to a certain point in his career in the post-Cleveland era, the first post-Cleveland era, it didn't matter who his teammates were, right? It didn't matter what team he was going to play against. LeBron was going to continue to show up. LeBron was going to continue to elevate franchises LeBron was going to continue to drag 
lesser talented players to the top of the NBA with him. He got Matthew Dellavedova paid. He got Timofey Mozgov paid. Think about the team that he dragged to a championship in the bubble with the Lakers. Yeah, they had Anthony Davis and everybody understands that. But the other guys on that roster, he's the kind of guy that just lifts everybody around him. Mahomes does the same thing. And if fans weren't watching for the game, which I know you were, Chris, even without a dog in the fight, I mean, Usher's halftime show was phenomenal. He performed probably my favorite song by him, You Don't Have to Call, and then bringing out her, Ludacris, and the roller skaters, among other people, was fantastic showmanship, in my opinion. Chris, do you have a top five like halftime shows of all time, or are you just vibing each year doing something different? No, I don't have a top five or anything along those lines. I was at the Super Bowl about 10 years ago when Katy Perry did the halftime show, and it was pretty spectacular because I was there in person to see the light show and all that kind of stuff. I was there with my wife and my dad, and it was one of the most epic Super Bowls in NFL history. It is called by many people the Patriots and the Seahawks as the best Super Bowl of all time. Now you can sit there and you can argue whatever way you want to argue on that one. But being there was epic and seeing Katy Perry in her halftime show was pretty epic as well. I thought last year's was really, really fun, really good. A throwback to my childhood, if you would. And look, I love Usher. I love so many of his songs. The two criticisms that I have of the halftime show tonight. Number one, they chose Usher about 10 years too late. Like the fastball doesn't have the same amount of velo on it. And I would have loved for Usher more in his prime to get an opportunity to put on a show at the Super Bowl halftime. That's number one. Number two, I thought he raced through, and obviously you have to. You can't perform every single song at a Super Bowl halftime that you want to that's in your catalog, especially when your catalog is as dynamite as Usher's. But some of the more fun songs that he has, like he rushed through and he just did like one line from each of those songs. So I wish like he would have given more attention to some of those hits. Nah, yeah, I get that. I mean, I feel like because he had so many guests he had to get to and wanted to represent for the A and all of those things, it was like, you have to go really quickly. And I think he did a decent job of the performances for each one, but I understand like wanting to hear more of each song. We might just have to get you some uh, Las Vegas Usher tickets so you can see a show. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) He also focused a lot on the dancing, more so than the singing which is fine. Like he's a showman. He's an entertainer. He's a really, really good dancer. If you can dance on roller skates, like you're doing something special in your life. But I wish he would have focused a little bit more on the singing aspect of it. For sure. All right, Chris, let's talk Cavs. They are on a nine game winning streak, which is the longest active streak in the NBA and are coming home ahead of the all-star break facing the 76ers and the Bulls. One, What has stood out to you about the Cavs play as of late? And do you think they can sweep this homestand heading into the break? Yeah, I mean, the way that they're playing, the thing that stands out is that they're just not taking any of these teams on their schedule lightly, no matter how good or bad they are. And they're showing this killer instinct. And Max Struess said it the other night in the locker room after the game against Toronto. He's like, look, it's close to the all-star break. Everybody's tired. Everybody's beat up. Everybody just wants to get to the all-star break. We could be lackadaisical. 
we could play down to our competition. But they're not. They're taking advantage of this opportunity that's in front of them with this schedule. They're building momentum. They're building confidence. They're building continuity. And they're showing a killer instinct. If they have a lead going into the fourth quarter, they're finishing those games. They're 33-2 and two when taking a lead into the fourth quarter. They're 24-2 and two now, I believe, against teams with a record below 500. And you play the schedule that's in front of you. And if the schedule is in front of the Cavs, where they get opportunities to play against a Philadelphia team that doesn't have Joel Embiid, that's going through a bit of a transition, and they get an opportunity to play against a Chicago team that who knows what direction they're going in, and they get an opportunity to play against the Raptors and the Washington Wizards and the San Antonio Spurs, and it just so happens that it's the same stretch of the schedule, then so be it. It's up to the Cavs or every other team around the NBA that has legitimate championship aspirations and playoff aspirations to take advantage of those games against those opponents. And the Cavs are doing it better than anybody in the NBA, not named the New York Knicks. So give the Cavs a lot of credit, and there's absolutely no reason to think that they can't continue this winning streak, especially being at home and going into the All-Star break against this version of Philadelphia and whatever the Chicago Bulls are. Yeah, Chris, and I look back to earlier in the season where they lost to the Blazers and they were talking about not putting their foots on people's necks or having their foot on the neck and not finishing games and not doing that thing. They had a stretch where they had lost multiple games when they had a 10 or more lead in a game and that is a completely different team than the team we've seen obviously yes have they played with their food a little bit from time to time sure have they been having fun while beating these teams up absolutely but they have not taken their foot off the gas. And I think if you saw in the latest game, they definitely had the opportunity to show that, oh, we might let you back in the game, but we know that we can turn it back on when it feels like it's getting too close. Like I think at one point they got down to 18 and they were like, okay, time to stop playing with y'all. Let's put 24 back up. And that's how the game ended. Look, since the start of the new year, Ethan, they've played 19 games, 19 games. That's a possible 912 minutes. And I wrote this in my story following the game against Toronto. It's a possible 912 minutes. They have trailed for a total of 188. Think about that. Like, that's the level of dominance that they're showing. That's the level of, we're going to get up against you, and we're going to continue to play at that same level. Our defense is going to suffocate you. Our offense is going to overwhelm you. And that's what it's been since the start of the new year. They've lost two games, two games since the start of the new year. One of those was to open the new year against Toronto, and then the other one was against the Bucks after they had just fired their coach, and they got Giannis back after, you know, the Cavs kind of gave it to the Bucks in Cleveland, and the Bucks were out for a little bit of revenge on their own home court. Other than that, they have dominated opponents. And it's really, really impressive to see. Offensively, they've become more dynamic. Offensively, it seems like they're figuring out how to blend all the skill sets of all the individual talents that they have and make it function together. And defensively, they have risen to a level that I think there were people that were legitimately wondering whether the Cavs could get back to their level from last year during the regular season and in the first round of the playoffs against the New York Knicks. And they have gotten back 
to that level. And uh, they deserve a lot of credit for the way that they have played. And there are very, very few teams that have been able to consistently play at the level that the Cavs have over the last six, seven weeks of this season. Speaking of breaks, Chris, we're going to take a quick one, but I got to put our subscribers on to something new. For our listeners, if you like food and drinks, and who doesn't, Cleveland.com is breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in the greater Cleveland area. The hosts talk about the latest foodie happenings, joined by the most in-the-know experts in town. It's called Dine, Drink, C-L-E, and you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen, quench your thirst, and feed that appetite. When we come back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, we're going to discuss Donovan Mitchell in the All-Star Game and the festivities surrounding it. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with me and Chris by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up Stick around, because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from Chris and me. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back. If you don't know, Donovan Mitchell is competing in the three-point contest and has the chance to be the first player to win both the NBA All-Star Dunk Contest and three-point contest. He won the dunk contest in 2018. Based on his competition, do you think Donovan can pull it out? And if not, who's your pick to win it all this year, Chris? It's a really, really tough-to-predict competition because, like, There are unknowns attached to some of these guys, but there are also like past winners involved here. Carl Anthony Towns is really, really good in this kind of competition. I think Trey Young is somebody who can absolutely put on a show. I'm intrigued with Damian Lillard. Tyrese Halliburton's kind of weird because he's been dealing with this injury. He's been on a minute restriction, and I wouldn't call him like the most pure three-point shooter out there but I definitely think Donovan has a chance I was talking to Donovan the other night following the game in DC and he has participated in the three-point contest before and he said that he learned from that three-point contest to not prepare as much as he did last time last time he felt like he was over prepared and he was overconfident and he probably did a little bit too much leading into that contest. So he said he's just going to chill a little bit more this year. So we'll see if that kind of does anything different when it comes to his routine and his success in this particular format against this group of pretty talented three-point shooters. My top three are Trey Young, Damian Lillard, and Donovan. And even though it would be storybook for Donovan to dethrone Dame, especially with the all-star starter selection as it was, and that being a bonus, 
I think Damian Lillard repeats. As much as I hate to say it to the Cavs fans, I gotta be honest. I mean, don't sleep on Cat now. He won it in Cleveland. He put on a show in Cleveland too. Lowry Markinen seems like he's got like a slower release, and I'm actually wondering. I'm wondering if he's going to be able to get through every single rack. I wonder if like maybe it goes a little bit too fast and he doesn't anticipate it, but he's got a great stroke. There's no doubt about it. It's just a little bit slower. Then again, he doesn't really use his legs. He doesn't jump all that much. So maybe he conserves a little bit of energy. I just think it's going to be fascinating because you have a different kind of group. Like I said, you've got past champions, Dame and Carl Anthony Towns. Then you've got some other guys like Jalen Brunson is more of a scorer and he's been a really, really good three-point shooter this year. He worked on it all offseason and you've seen the rewards of it. But you don't think of Jalen Brunson as, you know, somebody who would typically participate in the three-point contest. He just hasn't been that kind of guy throughout his career. So I just think it's a really cool mix. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would say Donovan's the same way if they don't actually know the kind of shots that Donovan's been putting up. Like, Donovan is considered a scorer more than a three-point shooter, but I think he's fourth in the NBA in three-pointers made since 2021 or something of that nature. Yeah, it's a little bit different than Brunson. But switching over to the dunk contest, I honestly think this one is an easy pick. I'm going with Mac McClung to repeat. Who do you got, Chris? Yeah, I'm going with Mac McClung, too. He's just got such a bag, and he, he tries different things. I give him a lot of credit for that. He's a smaller guy, so he like theoretically gets bonus points for some of the dunks that he can pull off because the judges think, how can a smaller guy, shorter guy, be able to do these kinds of dunks? I've always said that big guys oftentimes get penalized, and they could do a dunk that is really, really spectacular. But like if a, a smaller, shorter guy does that same dunk, the score is going to be different because you expect these taller, bigger guys to be better dunkers to begin with. And I think they lose some points, some theoretical points because of that. So McClung's got the hops, right? He put on a show last year. He has really, really unique dunks that he's willing to try, things that we don't see every single year in the dunk contest. And like I said, I think he gets natural bonus points because of his size and because he doesn't look the part of the greatest dunker in the world. I know I made this point earlier in the year, but I have to harp on it after seeing the selections for this dunk contest. Jalen Brown is the first all-star to compete in the dunk contest since 2017. He said he's competing because he feels like he's in his athletic prime and wishes other stars would compete. I feel like the dunk contest is a lost cause because few people of mention are joining it. Like to me, the 2016 dunk contest was the last truly great competition. But in the past, it was year after year that stars would show up and show out and compete. Even the celebrity dunk contests were better than the ones we've had recently. I'm talking about Deion Sanders, Ken Griffey Jr., those guys showing off their bunnies. I wish we could go back to those times, and I still think LeBron James not competing in the dunk contest unknowingly might have had an overall effect on other star players not signing up. I get the thinking of wanting to see the best of the best in the dunk contest. I totally understand that. But like, if the best of the best go into the dunk contest and they don't perform as well as, say, Mac McClung did last year, is it going to be as good? Is it going to be as memorable? Like, you're talking back to 2016. 
Last year was awesome because Mac McClung, this guy who came out of nowhere, a YouTube sensation, like he had three dunks that were perfect. I mean, only one of his dunks was a non-50. So like if you can have somebody like that who is a natural born showman that can execute like that and he can get 50s, like to me, that's almost all that matters. Did last year lose something because it was a no-name guy who happened to win? I don't think so. I remember it as this guy who came out of nowhere and who put on an absolute show with a bunch of 50s. I think for me, I expected that from Mac. Like, I expected him to win last year, knowing Mac in high school. Like, when I mean the contest wasn't as good, like, in my mind, Mac McClung was the best dunker and was supposed to win last year. When I mentioned 2016, it was up in thin air. You could have said Aaron Gordon won it. You could have said Zach Levine won it. That was a all-out competition. Like, you talk about Michael Jordan, and you talk about Dominique Wilkins. Like, those are the competitions that I really look at that you're like, well, it could have been anybody, but I just had fun watching it. <laughs> like, yeah, so I don't need it. I don't need it to be a close competition. I don't need it to be a tight competition. Just like I don't need sporting events to be close in score for me to, to believe that they're memorable or for me to be entertained by them. There are other ways to entertain, even if you feel like the result is a foregone conclusion. Like when a six foot 10, 180 pound guy can execute perfect 50s on three of his four dunks. Like you got my attention. For sure. All right, Chris. The Cavs returned from the All-Star break to two separate back-to-backs before the month of February is over. As much as this break might throw off their rhythm, with all the traveling they're about to be doing, I think it'll be helpful. They play the Magic, 76ers, Wizards, Mavericks, and Bulls to end the month. What are you thinking about how this team is going to fare coming out of the All-Star break, especially with thinking that it could throw off what they've been going on? Well, here's the thing. Like, if, if there are still doubters out there that still wonder, okay, how legit are the Cavs? Is this a mirage? What does that record really show about them? Who are they truly? Are they a legitimate title contender? For people that still have those questions, and most of them will point to their record against above 500 teams versus their record against below 500 teams. And cool. Like, if that's how you feel about it, if you need them to prove more to you, then okay. You want to hold out. You want to see more evidence before getting potentially duped again the way that you felt duped by them last year because they won 51 games, they earned the fourth seed, and then they got rocked in the playoffs. Like, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. Okay. So for those people that are still holding out, March might give you a better window right? Because you've got the Knicks, you've got the Celtics, you've got the Timberwolves, you've got the Phoenix Suns, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Miami Heat multiple times, the Denver Nuggets, the 76ers when they might be a better version of themselves, the Suns again. So like there are points of this schedule, like you mentioned, Ethan, coming back off the break against Orlando and this version of Philly and Washington and Chicago where, you know, the Cavs, could potentially capitalize on those. But there are some true playoff contenders that that are going to be waiting for them as well. And I think it'll be 
a really, really interesting situation for the Cavs going into March and how grueling that schedule is. I think it'll tell a little bit more to the doubters just what this team could potentially be capable of in April if they get through that particular gauntlet. Understanding that the playoffs are still, even though the level of competition for the Cavs is going to be a little bit stiffer in March, playoffs are still not something that you can compare to any kind of regular season game. But I think for the doubters out there, they're going to see the Cavs play against teams that are more on their level and it'll be a better gauge of of how they stack up. So stay tuned for March. And with that being said, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and me by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from me and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.